You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Mission Ridge. So good to see you guys. We are starting a three-week series on the book of Jonah. We've done a number of book series this year. And uh, they've all been in the New Testament. We thought we'd jump into the Old Testament, but, but we only have three weeks before we get into Advent. And so we wanted to pick something relatively short. And Jonah being four chapters, we thought we could actually do that in three weeks. We are about to find out. So um, I think most of us know this story. I think we most of us grew up with this story, some, some awareness of the story. I think it's one of the favorite flanograph stories of all time. And, uh, you know, even, even VeggieTales has a feature-length film on this story. And uh, I did get the name of the movie wrong last week. I said Jonah and the uh, Big Fish. I still think my title's better. So... Do with that what you will. But um, sometimes we can know a story so well that it's easy to miss what God wants to say to us. Rabbi David Foreman says this. When we know a story too well, we become easy prey to a syndrome I like to call the lullaby effect. The lullaby effect retards our ability to ask, even to see, the really important questions the Bible begs us to ask of it. Did you know that there's problems within the scripture? They're right in there. The lullaby effect anesthetizes us through the stupefying effects of familiarity. Now, Rabbi David Foreman is, uh, he's not a follower of Christ, but he is phenomenal at exegesis of the Old Testament. And so uh, I do look at some of his material from time to time. Here's a lullaby that we all are probably familiar with, right? Rockabye baby at the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall and down will come baby what? <laughs> why, why do we sing this to our children? <laughs> why, why do we sing this to our children and and? Who came up with this? Actually, there's uh, several theories on the source of this little ditty. And um, my favorite is that it was not meant to be a nursery rhyme at all. Instead, it was an allegory about the political unrest of the time. And some claim that it was penned in a British pub during the glorious revolution of 1688, where all songs that we sing to our children should be penned, right? That's the lullaby effect. I and mean, we sing things, we, we talk about things, we read stories without asking the question, why is that there? And so as we jump into Jonah this week, I'd invite you to ask really good questions. I'd invite you to look for the problems and wrestle with them. Now we put a quiz in the bulletin. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Somewhere in here, right next to the sermon notes. And so from memory, 
answer the following questions. And, you know, first we ask you to rate yourself. How well do you know the Jonah story? And um, you may re-rate yourself after taking the quiz. I don't know. But, you know, how many fish are in the story? Who offers the sacrifice in the story? Who was Jonah's message or what was Jonah's message to Nineveh? At what point did Jonah repent in the story? And why did God provide Jonah a plant in the story? So these are all questions that we, uh, we found answers to that we wrestled with as we were preparing for this series. Well, let's start off by talking about Jonah himself. Who is Jonah? Other than the book that has his name on it, Jonah is referenced in the Old Testament one other time. And it's found in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 25. So let's read that together. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. So this is Jeroboam II, and not much better than Jeroboam I. And he reigned 41 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, Jeroboam the first, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which was spoken by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefner. So Jonah is a historical figure. He's a historical figure. He had a job. He was a prophet of the Lord. And he was the son of Amittai, and Amittai's name means truth. That will become important in a couple of of weeks. But he was a prophet to the northern kingdom somewhere around 750 B.C., If you know the history of Israel, David and Solomon were kings that unified Israel and provided prosperity to its people. After Solomon, the king divided around 930 BC, so almost 200 years before Jonah. There was a kingdom of the south that's called Judah, which was composed of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Remember, there's 12 tribes for Israel. So two of the tribes were in the south, and the kingdom of the north referred to as Israel in the scriptures with the remaining ten tribes. Jonah comes from the northern kingdom of Israel. And a common theme of the scriptures, and we see already in in the second Kings passage, is that the kings of Judah and Israel, by and large, did not follow the Lord. And they caused the people of their kingdom to sin. And when this took place, God would remove his hand of blessing from Israel, and the kingdoms around them would wage war against them. Assyria, to the north, was one of those kingdoms that pitted itself against Israel. Let's take a look at this map. So this is, the, this is what's known as the Fertile Crescent. And right down here, bottom left, is Palestine, which, again, is, Judah was at the south, 
towards the Dead Sea. Israel was towards the north of Palestine. North of them was Syria. Over to the east of Syria, you have Assyria. And you can see Nineveh at the top of the Fertile Crescent. That's going to be important for today's story. And then Babylon. Now there's another place that's going to be mentioned in this story, and it's called Tarshish. Tarshish is as far west as you can get from Israel. It's from that, that, town, that time period, Tarshish was the furthest west that they knew of. That'll become important later in a later conversation. This region, the Fertile Crescent, was called the Cradle of Civilization because it's where settled farming first began. And this is where the food was in the region, and therefore this is where the people were, and therefore these were the trade routes of that ancient time. In fact, the King's Highway wraps around the Fertile Crescent. And it's what connected Southern Arabia to Africa. Controlling this area meant you controlled the trade and the people. In fact, Israel would be conquered by Assyria within Jonah's lifetime. And then they'd be conquered again by Babylon within another 150 years. And so this is the tension that Jonah is living in as we dive into this story. This is the context. This is what the world stage looked like for Jonah and his people. So let's get into Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So already in the first few verses, we're going to see the author use repetition to make some points. And within these first few verses, we see two times where he's told to arise, and so he, he arises. That's the same Hebrew word. Instead of arising, he goes down. He goes down to Joppa. Joppa. He goes down into the ship. And uh, we're told two times that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And then finally, three times we're told that he's fleeing to Tarshish. Now again, Tarshish was about as far west as you could get from Israel, at least from their worldview, their perspective. It's, many scholars believe it's in Spain. Tarshish was thought of as a paradise and it was known for its extreme wealth. In fact, Solomon received shipments of gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks, of all things, every few years. So I want you to picture Hawaii, but on a much grander scale. Like we're told to go, you know, go preach a sermon in Billings, and instead we go to Hawaii. 
Is that a good comparison? Did I, did I get that right? Anybody from Billings in here? Did I just offend somebody? Um, let's continue with the story. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Reminds me of my kids in their teenage years. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Now we have to understand that from the, the world at that time, there were a lot of gods. Some were based upon location. Some were based upon what they did for you. Like you could have a god of Missoula, a god of Billings, god of Bozeman, but you'd also have the, the god of the harvest, the god of rain, the god of the sun, and god of the moon, the god of the sea. And so, so the mariner comes to, the captain comes to Jonah, and he doesn't care which god has the answer, he just wants an answer from one of the gods. Perhaps the god will give a thought to us that we... Be not perish. One of the things that we're going to notice is that Jonah never calls out to God while he's on the ship. He never calls out to God. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast the lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now we're going to talk about casting lots more in our footnotes podcast. But just know that whoever the lot is cast upon, that's the person that's supposed to have the answer to the, whatever question they're wrestling with. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? They were exceedingly afraid because they were used to having gods that they had to deal with in different regions, in different towns, dealing with different functions, but not having one God that was God of it all. And you made him mad? <laughs> and you haven't cried out to him? There's already problems within the story. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Love that word. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. 
They didn't want to take his life. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. O Lord, let's not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Did you notice the problems in this story? I've, I've highlighted a few. Let's take a look at these. Number one, the prophet flees the presence of the Lord. Where do we see that ever? It's not what prophets do. Two, God can be found in Nineveh where, where there's evil going on, but not in Tarshish, which is, which is paradise. That sounds backwards from so many conversations in American Christianity, doesn't it? Like the prosperity gospel. I mean, surely God's got to be in Hawaii and not someplace like Billings. I haven't even been to Billings, so when I say that, you know, it's based off of what I've heard. I could be totally wrong. But third, Jonah is asleep during the storm. And he's fast asleep. I, when I first read this, I thought maybe he was like, it was kind of like those moments where as a husband, uh, as a father, your, your one-year-old is, is screaming. You're, you're supposed to be asleep. Uh, you're hoping your spouse is awake. And so you close your eyes harder uh, so that they take care of the, the one-year-old and not you. I, I know I'm not the only one that's ever done that, right? <laughs> this is what I'm picturing with Jonah. Like, yes, Lord, I know you're out there, but I'm not, I'm not getting up. God used a pagan to call the prophet back to his calling. Isn't that weird? Like he says, arise. It's the same word that God called him with. Jonah does not answer the question about his occupation. He's, that's a, it's like the second question he's asked, and he, and he like skips right past that guy. I think I would too, if I was in Jonah's shoes. The pagans care about the prophet's life. But what about the prophet? Why doesn't he care about the pagan's life? Isn't that odd? Isn't that strange to read about God's people? And the pagans offer the sacrifice to the Lord, not the prophet. Where where else do we see that in scriptures? Like These are just some of the problems, some of the things that you have to wrestle with. Doesn't this seem upside down? Strange? And typically, the prophet goes and tells the people what they're doing wrong instead of the, in this case, the prophet is doing the wrong thing. And the people are acting, the the pagans are acting more righteously than, than the one who's supposed to be close to God. 
And then there's all the threes. Jonah is told to arise. The Hebrew word is in there three times. Jonah is told to go down. Or or I'm sorry, instead, Jonah goes down. He's told to arise. Instead, he chooses to go the other way. He goes down. Tarshish is mentioned three times. And three times it is said that Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. The author wants us to take notice of these things. And then there's three days and three nights in the fish. I think what God is doing here is shining a bright light on the heart of Jonah. Like he doesn't want us to miss What's going on here? And he wants us to wrestle with, am I like that? Do I act like Jonah sometimes? Have you ever headed the wrong direction away from what God was calling you to? Or maybe you've hung on to resentment and anger. You knew you should forgive. but You chose to just hang on to it, even savor it. Have you chosen to go down a path that you knew would take you away from God himself? And yet again and again, God was calling Noah back. Love that about this. And don't miss that. God is always calling us back. Look how patient God is with Jonah throughout this story. And it doesn't end with this first chapter either. Shame will tell you that you cannot go back. But this is not how the story reads. Let's talk about what Jonah was fleeing. Because in the English, it says the presence of God. But in Hebrew, it's more intimate than that. It actually says the face of God. Jonah was fleeing the face of God. Not like... God is in this room over on the other side of the room, but God is right here, and Jonah can't handle that. He's fleeing the face of God. God desires a face-to-face relationship with us. And Jonah couldn't handle that in the story. Each step down, each decision away from the face of God gets darker. And Jonah goes down to, to, to Joppa. And then he goes, he's heading down towards Tarshish. He goes down into the hull of the ship. And still... He doesn't end there because it's not, they don't, the author doesn't use the same word, but by implication, he says, throw me into the sea. The sea was the picture of the abyss. It was access to Sheol. He just wanted to die. It gets darker. 
And then the fish swallows him. And now he's blinded. And maybe there's a story you could think of because now he's inside the fish. Fish have scales, right? So now he's blinded by scales. Three days. I'll let you wrestle with that. We might talk about that on footnotes. We step away from God out of selfishness, out of rebellion, but even confusion. Friends, it's easy to become confused about what God is doing and why. This is one of the most common experiences with God. Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But don't let your confusion, your lack of understanding, your preconceived notions get in the way of having a face-to-face relationship with God. And by the way, sometimes we look at God's people and they don't always get it right. And that becomes a stumbling block for our own relationship with God. But the pagans, they didn't let Jonah's actions get in the way of them worshiping the God themselves. Isn't that amazing? I've had some people say, I, you know, I, I, love, I love God, I just don't love his people. But look how patient God is with Jonah. Always calling him back. Maybe we should be patient like that too. Don't let the actions of those who should be close to God get in the way of you being close to God. Don't let the actions of those who should be close to God get in the way of you being close to God. Don't let that be an excuse. I find it interesting that God used Noah in spite of Noah to bring the sailors in the story into a relationship with himself. I find that fascinating. You know, we may choose to go down the wrong path as followers of God. We may, like we can make that choice. Guess what? God can still get the work done that he wants to get done, even if we want to be boneheads about it. He can still get done what he wants to get done. The question, though, is are you going to miss out on an opportunity to have a face-to-face relationship with the creator of the universe who absolutely loves you, who pursue you to the end of the earth? I want to look at um, why Jonah wants to flee from the face of God just as, as we end our time here. And we don't, we're not told in Jonah chapter 1, but we are told in Jonah chapter 4, but it's worth reading because it's, it's from the Jonah chapter 1 time period. And so Jonah says this, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country, that this is why I made haste to flee Tarshish? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, 
and relenting and disaster. That word is actually evil in the Hebrew. Jonah's anger towards God had everything to do with Jonah's desire to see the people of Assyria punished. Remember the, uh, the clip that we watched on the front end where the cloud zaps the town <laughs> and there's one left and he gets zapped too? That's, that's funny stuff. Um, Jonah really wanted a zapping. Jonah desired justice. He knew how evil the Syrians were. Justice says that for every act, there is a consequence. If you touch a hot stove, you burn your hand. If you run a red light, you get a ticket, except for in this town. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what justice demands. Can you imagine a world without justice? We need that, right? We need the police. We need the courts. We need laws. They're for our benefit. It seems, though, that Jonah prefers justice more than God himself. For now, God has placed Jonah in the belly of a fish, and we will continue this story next week. But the implication I want you to wrestle with is, who are you hoping God will punish? And so while we consider that, we're going to move into a time of communion. And for those of you who are not regulars here, uh, please know that we have an open table. If, uh, if you are here to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you are invited to partake with us. In a moment, I'm going to invite you up and ask that you would grab the elements and then return back to your seat, and we're going to take them together as family. Who do you want to see punished? I've wrestled with that question a lot recently, um, just in my own personal walk with my own family. Justice is something that I wrestle with, is something that I desire. But do I desire it over relationship? Do I desire it more than I desire what God desires? Am I willing to humble myself like Christ humbled himself on the cross? That's the question. So please come grab the almonds. We participate and partake in the Lord's Supper together on a weekly basis to remember what Jesus Christ did. In my heart of hearts, I know that demanding justice um, is contrary to the gospel. But somehow, 
I love the movies where someone gets exact revenge, where uh, justice is served, where the uh, antagonist of the story gets thrown down by the protagonist. Like, I love those stories. But Jesus lived a different story. One that says that, I know what you did. And I love you this much. In the night that he was betrayed, he took bread like this and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this and remember to me. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Lord. Jesus, you knew no sin. You lived a perfect life. You were scapegoated for my sin. You went to the cross to show me how much you value me so that I would not have to perish because of my own sin. And so, Lord, I look forward to eternity with you. I look forward to that day when I won't look at you through a veil, but face to face. Thank you, Lord, that you desire that relationship with me and, through, and for each of us and for the whole world. I pray that you'd reach Missoula through us, your humble church. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.